Longtime partnership between uh, WCCO Radio and the Star Tribune editorial board today, represented by Denise Johnson and John Rash from the Star Tribune. Let's work locally and then go nationally in segment number two, John. Um, Frontline workers. This debate has been taking place in St. Paul between Democrats and Republicans over $250 million and who should be defined as frontline workers, how much money should they get? We now have this overwhelmingly significant surplus of $7.7 billion. And there's some talk now of trying to resolve this issue by saying, no, it's not $250 million. It's $1 billion. But then there's talk, will it ever get done before January? with a special session, and if it doesn't, then it's going to move back month after month after month because it just gets caught up in the normal session, and we know the battle that's coming up over how we either distribute that money or how that money is spent. Where are we at with frontline workers, and why should someone be optimistic that if they're aligned to get that money, that they're going to see it anytime soon? They should be optimistic because a surplus should be able to grease the skids. It's often when there's a deficit or not enough money to go around that there are significant challenges at the legislature if they're not able to figure out how to reward these well-deserving individuals, and that's part of the definition is who is going to come under that umbrella, then they're really going to have a hard time on the other major issues in the regular session. So my sense is with the budget forecast, with the significant surplus that we have they'll finally be able to work this out denise do you are you as optimistic as john because i'm not <laughs> optimistic well i uh, i think that they should be able to um uh first broaden the definition of uh the what essential workers are that's what they've been doing a lot of arguing about and with with the uh, uh, help of the surplus they should be able to um and and i think it's important that surplus funds be spent on uh, one-time kinds of things that are not don't have financial tails tied to them, which this does fits very neatly into that category, and that they should be be able to um, to accomplish that in this upcoming session. All right, Denise, I'll stay with you on just the surplus. This is rare. I mean, we just don't see this. Oh, yeah. It's close to eight billion dollars eligible for whether you're paying the federal government back, money to taxpayers in some way. Uh, is this going to be another one of those with the upcoming session where it's resolved either in the last day or two or we're going to have a special session or they can actually get this done and in some way get money back to people sooner? I'd hope that they could get it done and get money back to uh, uh People, or, or rather, not necessarily money back to people, but make some uh, smart investments with this huge windfall. Um, I don't know that going the uh, uh, people were called the Jesse checks from several, you know, an administration ago. Um, I'm not sure that that's the direction to go. I, I would rather see them make um, smart investments in things that have uh, uh, important needs, things like. Uh, Child care, health care, some of those kinds of things. That's what I would rather see happen. John? 
I think there's enough money to placate the players at the legislature this session and to do it in time. And I know that perhaps in the holiday spirit, I'm really extending the optimism here. But I think that, you know, there are different constituencies between and within the parties, but there probably is enough money to make wise investments, as Denise mentions, and to return some of it to taxpayers and to help out with tax relief for certain businesses. So my sense is that going into an election year when many will want to campaign, that there will be added incentive as well, that they don't go deep into the summer with special sessions. So they'll probably be able to come to some kind of an accord, especially with so much in the till this year. John, let's talk about your uh, editorial today about vaccines and air travel and your belief, the editorial board's belief that individuals, if they're going to travel, should be vaccinated. Expand on that. We would not be the only nation that has done this, and we are facing a significant outbreak worldwide. And you just look at the headlines from across the pond in the UK, the US certainly has many, many challenges as well. And so this seems that this would be a way to help curb the spread, both in terms of, you know, of course, being in an airplane is a very definition of a, of a, you know, closed space. And so that's why masks already, of course, are required at this point, and that um, it might be a way to keep the new variant as well as even newer unknown variants from rocketing around the world. So this seems to be a smart and more safe and hopefully efficacious attempt at trying to curb the virus. Of course, it's never going to be popular. No one is glad that we're going through this and the draconian steps that need to be taken. But the only way to truly end the pandemic is to stop it at all these sources. And so this is why we have weighed in accordingly. Denise, expand on that. And then on the next part of this, is it realistic? Is this going to happen? Um, I think it should. Uh, it is a, a, an extension of some of the, the precautions that they're taking with air travel and being in the airport. Uh, anyway, the other thing is, is that there are a number – most airports now have uh, some form of uh, rapid testing that you can do um, in order, and some countries, as you know, require that before you can even mm-hmm. get on the plane. Given the fact that there are – that we are having increased uh, rates of um, – uh, COVID, the variants, both variants uh, included, it, it really is important for us to um, uh, to be vaccinated when we travel. Let's pause right here, uh, take a break, come back, and we'll talk about what is taking place with Mark Meadows, held in contempt, first member of Congress held in contempt since 1832, how we reached this point and what it means moving forward. It's playing politics with the Star Tribune editorial board today with John Rash and Denise Johnson. Chad Hubbard here on News Talk 830 WCCO. More playing politics with the Star Tribune editorial board, John Rash and Denise Johnson here. Just to put this in perspective, the last congressman held in contempt, present, uh, or, or excuse me, in, in, in a former congressman in this case, uh, then Chief of Staff Mark Meadows for President Trump, 1832. 
Mark Meadows had turned over, John, a great deal of information, thousands and thousands of pages, including the text that we've been talking about. And Mark Meadows initially had agreed. His book comes out where he says basically the president was tested positive and traveled to Minnesota, was a part of the uh, first debate with Joe Biden. And then when Donald Trump said it was fake news and Mark Meadows comes out, John, in a very unique way, basically says his own book is fake news. He is unwilling to testify over the information he's provided. I think we all, the three of us would agree, a chief of staff certainly has a, a, a significant contention on executive privilege, unlike Steve Bannon. But, John, when you provide the information, you've, the executive privilege ends. So where is this going to go? You know, the Bannon trial is not scheduled for June. So then if it even gets to scheduling a trial with Meadows, it's August, it's September. What, what really is going to happen here? Well, when you look at the transcendent trends of this event and the aftermath, I think the episode involving Mark Meadows is very telling. You really know that the former president has complete sway over a significant swath of his party when you get the former chief of staff to, in effect, say he was misquoted in his own autobiography in a book that he wrote in terms of the fake news comment that the president had after it came out. And you also have a dynamic where Mark Meadows was for a long time a member of Congress. It should not be forgotten, no matter how much they want to erase the memories of it, that members of Congress' lives were threatened. Their colleagues' lives were threatened directly by this event. And as we know, tragically, several people lost their lives during the assault on the Capitol on January 6th. And so for all of those Republicans, all but two including the four Minnesota Republican representatives, representatives Emmer, Fishbach, Stauber, and Hagedorn, who vote to not hold them in contempt. They're complicit in not getting to the bottom of an attack on the nation's capital, the citadel of democracy, and a place, again, where their colleagues' lives were directly threatened. And so it really shows you know, why PolitiFact just this week named their 2021 lie of the year, the narrative around the events of January 6, 2021, in terms of just how distorted it has become and how deeply that is rooted among many Republicans who now are buying the president's false version of what happened, as opposed to the real version that's reflected in Mark Meadows' released text and other testimony that Capitol Hill is finding out right now. Denise, here's another part of the story, and and it stood out, I think, to a lot of us. A couple nights ago, when the vice chair, Liz Cheney, read text, which, again, Mark Meadows turned over, by the way, on his own personal cell phone, by the way. I think we did have a little bit of controversy with Hillary Clinton and her own personal phone and email, but this is on Meadows' personal cell phone. There was a lot of talk about text from Don Jr. and Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram and Brian Kilmeade. And they named them. But then we also see a text that is from a lawmaker to Meadows. And it says this, and it's on November 4th. It's the day after the election, Denise. Here's an aggressive strategy. 
Why can't the states of Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and other are controlled state houses declare that this is BS, you know, where Biden is winning, where conflicts and election not called that night and just send their own electors to vote and have it go to the Supreme Court? First of all, that is staggering and stunning that a member of Congress would say the will of the people are irrelevant. So find your own electors. You know, it's it, we can't imagine that our country would have done that two, three years ago. But name, Denise, I'll say this. If you're naming Donald Trump Jr. and Hannity and the other names, why shouldn't we know which member of Congress sent this email to Mark Meadows? We should know. We should know. And it, and it should not be um, surprising as you were talking about uh, what unfolded there. It sounds very similar to what the former president was saying when he was talking to uh, attorneys general about or, or to um, election officials about needing an additional. All I need is eleven thousand votes. I mean, it's a, a you know a similar kind of um, uh, violation of the public trust in, in my view. And also those the, those texts were very I thought uh, very damning, particularly considering that um, uh, even though. Considering the fact that Donald Jr. and some of his, his biggest supporters, some of Trump's biggest supporters, um, were imploring him to do something about this and then later came back and, and uh, acted as if it wasn't as big a problem as they themselves acknowledged, acknowledged in their texts to the president, the then president. Yeah, and, and 100 percent. And, John, that night, uh, did Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity call it up? For sure. They absolutely did. But over the weeks and months, it was downplayed over and over mm-hmm. again. But I want to, John, I want to ask you the same question that Denise asked directly. If we're going to, you know, and Hanny's been very upset, what about an invasion of privacy? Well, I think Sean has reported many things that others would say, wait a second, that was on an email or something. If we're going to name all these folks, Fox personalities and the president's son, and now we have a member of Congress the day after the election saying, Let's find our own electors. Let's skip how the people vote in that state. If we're going to name these others, why aren't they naming this person right now? I completely concur. I think eventually the name will come out. I think all the truth will come out. I think one thing to clearly keep in mind is we're appropriately talking about the 2020 election and the early 2021 aftermath. In the months hence, there have been multiple moves by Republican-controlled states to make what they were trying to do or alluding in some of these texts actually be more easy to happen. And so the concern doesn't stop that the country's democracy dodged a complete constitutional crisis. It may be setting up for a more profound one in an upcoming presidential election, which again may include former President Trump. So I think that Voters have to be extraordinarily vigilant, regardless of whatever party affiliation they historically have had. We have a democracy. It's very precious, and it won't last unless we protect it. And right now, the moves that have been made in many states are to do just the opposite, and this should alarm the entire country. Thanks to both of you. I appreciate the conversation. We'll look forward to it next week. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Chad. John Rash and Denise Johnson. Among the texts coming in, Trump is not president. Yeah, 
January 6th is still prominent. And by the way, Donald Trump believes he's still president. So if he wasn't in the news, if he wasn't making news himself every single day, we wouldn't be talking about him. But guess what? He's in the news and his own chief of staff wrote a book and turned over documents. So, yes, he is. How about an investigation into burning the police station? Oh, like we haven't had people look at that? Like we haven't had folks uh, arrested? Like this show didn't call that out on a regular basis? To compare the two is utter nonsense. I hope people are smarter than that. And it's indefensible what the city officials did in not protecting the police department and, and, and not being prepared. But to compare that to overthrowing an election, please tell me you're smarter than that. Let's go to CBS and Adam coming up.